Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 now this is what jesus says he says that when you come to this stone yourself in your life you and i both have this decision to make he says this in matthew chapter 21 the one who falls on this stone, stone of stumbling, rock of offense, the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but when it falls on anyone, when that stone falls on anyone, it will crush him. You have a choice this morning to fall upon the stone, the chief cornerstone, the stone of stumbling, that rock of offense. You can fall on that stone, and yes, you will be broken, and yes, it will hurt, and yes, God will strip away all of those works and all of those times that you've tried to earn God's favor on your own. He'll strip it all away but you'll be saved or that stone will fall on you and you'll be crushed, annihilated, destroyed. The choice for me is simple. I want to bring what faith I have and lay it at the feet of the Lord. Now that verse, that word stumbling, it literally means to take offense to something. And if you think about this just for a moment, there's something very radical that will be revealed when you look around our culture. Because the name of Jesus today is offensive like never before. You have a culture that you live in today in America that is trying to hush the church from speaking loud and speaking boldly the name of Jesus. And we cannot allow it to happen. This culture may be offended by the Lord, but you know what? The gospel does offend. But you know what? Jesus said he came to bring a sword and not peace. He says he'll set household against household, mother against daughter, father against son. This is what will happen when the gospel comes. We have to continue to preach faithfully the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the only way that people can be saved from their works-based religions. You must continue to be faithful. You cannot be offended. John the Baptist sent word to Jesus and he asked through his own disciples, John did, is Jesus the one or should we wait for another? And Jesus responded and said, you go tell John what you've seen. You go tell John the blind can see, the deaf can hear, the mute can speak, the dead are raised. You go tell John those things and then tell him this, blessed is the one who is not offended because of me. My friends, if we allow the culture to silence the church. If the church listens to the culture and says, you know what, I don't want to offend you with Jesus, then where will the blessings ever come from? If we will not be a conduit to the blessings of the Lord by not taking offense to the message of the cross and the message of Jesus, then who will do it? If you are dropping the ball personally in your walk, if you are ashamed of the Lord, you need to reassess your walk today. You need to make that right with the Lord today. Now, this incredible text here again, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling from Isaiah 28, a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him 
will not be put to shame. Now look at this verse 1 of chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire, again, we're still looking at the stumbling of Israel. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for God is that they may be saved. If you remember in Romans chapter 9, Paul actually said, I would trade places with them if I could. Have you ever had a sick child and you look at that child and you hold that child maybe in your arms and they're suffering they have a fever or they're coughing and they're miserable. And you think for a moment, I would change places with them if I could. That's the heart that Paul had. He says, these Jews, they're accursed. They're condemned because they won't confess Christ. And I would trade places with them if I could so that they could be saved. That's his heart. But look at what he says here. He goes on and he says this in verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal. The word zeal, it means that they're consumed with a passion. They're overtaken with this incredible passion for the Lord. Literally, they're intoxicated with the law. They're drunk with the law, so much so that they can't see anything else, that they have a zeal for God. But that zeal, look at this, is not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They have a zeal. That passion is there, but it's not according to knowledge. It's out of ignorance. They don't understand what they're pursuing any longer. They don't understand that everything that they've been studying and worshiping under and for years that they've been practicing this religion has all been pointing to Jesus. They're intoxicated with their law works-based religion that they can't see the righteousness that is being offered to them. What a sad, sad place to be. I want to point out here something about zeal, because just as faith is only as strong as the object that you place that faith in, the same can be said of zeal. Zeal is only as strong as the object that you place that faith in. There are a lot of zealous people, passionate people, intoxicated people in the world that are pursuing ungodly things, and it doesn't matter how sincere or how passionate they are for their cause, if it's the wrong cause, they will still be disappointed in the day of judgment. If they're not passionate about the things of God, if they're not passionate about the gospel and the finished work of Jesus upon the cross, they will fall short. Look at the news and you see passion. You see great zeal. You see people rioting. You see people cursing. You see people throwing objects at, at one another. There's a lot of passion there, but it's misguided. What if all of that energy and all of that passion and all of that fervor were taken and were placed in something positive, some way to actually affect change, some way to actually try to bridge the gap to bring healing rather than destruction? You see, zeal isn't the answer. Paul himself was zealous before his, his conversion to Christianity. He was zealous for the things of God. He persecuted the church. He separated families, brought mothers and fathers and tore them apart from their children because they worshiped Jesus. He had great zeal. But that zeal was misguided. That zeal was placed in the wrong direction. Where is your zeal being taken up today? Where is your heart consumed by? If it's not consumed by the things of the Lord, there's something wrong in your own life. Now, Paul said here, misplaced zeal, that this zeal was there, but not according to knowledge, but according to ignorance. And the scripture says, Paul himself says this, when speaking of his fellow Jews in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. That The Jews read the scriptures with a veil. 
they're studying and they're worshiping, but there's this veil. It's cloudy. It, it doesn't really make sense. It's not a clear picture. There's a veil over their eyes. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because today, so many people out there, so many of the church are so quick to express their dissatisfaction and their frustration, and I would say even their anger and bitterness towards the lost who are in the world. You express this on social media every single day, but you realize that the lost are going to act like the lost unless the Spirit of God is dwelling within them. They're going to act like heathen. Instead of getting angry and bitter at those people, why don't we do something and try to reach out to those people and bring them to a knowledge of the Lord? Why don't we begin to pray that God removes the veil from their eyes so that they can see and worship clearly the King of kings and the Lord of lords? What a different approach if we use that same energy instead of in a negative way, we did something positive with it and we prayed for God to overcome the darkness in our culture. Right? There's this veil. They have a zeal, but it's not according to knowledge. It's according to ignorance of the righteousness of God. They seek to establish their own. They did not submit or come under God's righteousness. They wanted to earn it themselves. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. In the book of Galatians, Paul says that the law was a tutor or a guardian that kept the Jews until Christ would come, that pointed the Jews to Jesus until Jesus came. When Jesus came onto the scene in Matthew chapter 5, he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I came to fulfill God's law. I came to fulfill the word. That's why I am here. The word fulfill means to complete. It means to bring to a crescendo. It means to bring to a, the precipice or to a point. That's what Jesus did when he came. He brought the law to its completed end and here's the fact is that things monumentally shifted in the way that God approached and dealt with man 2,000 years ago at the cross before the cross God dealt with man through the sacrificial system through the law of Moses but when Jesus came he perfected that law he completed that law he finished it and now no longer does God want to commune with man or interact with man through the law of Moses or through the sacrificial system. He wants to meet with man at the cross through the sacrifice of his only son, Jesus. You see, the Jews missed this. They wanted to earn their own righteousness. They wanted to do it themselves. They wanted to pick themselves up by their own bootstraps. But they didn't realize that Christ was the end of the law. When Jesus came, that first covenant, that old covenant, was closed, and a new covenant began. So we see here the stumbling of Israel. If you're taking notes with me as we continue on in Romans chapter 10, we're going to next look at the simplicity of the gospel. The simplicity of the gospel, look at verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim to you. You need to stop complicating things. Right? Listen, he says, the word isn't far from you. And here, he begins by saying that the commandments, if you want to follow the commandments, you got to live by those. You can't pick and choose what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. If you want to base your righteousness upon the law, you've got to complete the whole law. 
every single command, every jot and tittle, not one word will pass away. You've got to make sure you perform it all. But the book of James says this in James chapter 2, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. If you're going to take your chances and you're going to trust in your own works, you're going to trust in your own performance to earn God's righteousness, you got to make sure you keep the whole law because if you just fail in one point, you're guilty of the entire thing. This is what James says, right? But here, Paul is directing us back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And I want to read to you out of Deuteronomy chapter 30, the quotation that he uses. And he's quoting Moses here. And in context, what's going on is Moses is giving his farewell speech to the nation of Israel. He's giving one parting exhortation. He's about to be replaced by Joshua. And this is part of his account, his final words, as he's kind of commissioning the people and encouraging the people before his ministry wraps up and comes to an end. And this is what he says when he lays out this choice that the nation of Israel has. They have a choice between life and death. And this is what he says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. Listen, it is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us to bring it to us that we may hear it? You don't have to study harder. You don't have to meditate or pray more in order to reach that. It's not far up. Here's the fact of the matter. In essence, what we know today is that we can't try to figure out what that word is by our study or by our efforts. That word has already left the heavens and has come down to us in the form of Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We don't have to go seeking and searching the word. The word has found us. Look at what else he says here. He says this, he goes on. He says, neither is it beyond the sea, speaking of the Red Sea, that you should say, who will go to the other side of the sea and bring it that we may hear it and do it? You don't have to cross the Red Sea again. Paul uses it as an analogy for the abyss, the grave. You don't have to go to the grave to find the word. You don't have to go to the grave to find good news. Jesus has already come up from that grave. He's already been raised from the dead. You don't go look for the living among the dead. Then he goes on, Moses does. He says, here, this, listen. The word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. This should bring us all great hope today because the word that the Lord is speaking of is not a list of commandments and rules and regulations and diets and feasts and festivals. It is not that any longer. The simple word that is near to you, the simple word that you can do. Jesus says all the law can be boiled down to this, to love God with everything you've got and to love your neighbor. That's how easy following after the Lord is today. That's the gospel. You, you can do that. It's not difficult. Don't overcomplicate things. Why do you overcomplicate things? And this is what the Jews, the leadership of the Jews had done for ages. The Pharisees and the scribes, they complicated their religion. They complicated their walk with the Lord. And Jesus actually said they bind heavy burdens on people's shoulders that they can't stand to bear even themselves. They can't move it even with one of their fingers. And if that's what your walk with the Lord is like today, if it's a burden, you need to change something. Because your walk with God should not be a burden. It's near to you. It's close to you. It's something that you can do. It is easy. Just love God and love your neighbor. Right? So there's the simplicity of the gospel that we see. Look at the next thing here. We're going to look at the simplicity of salvation. Verse 9. How is it that a person can be saved? What are the steps to salvation. Now, this is a very clear, nice, neat little outline that Paul gives us. 
He says this in verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. First, it begins with confession. If you confess with your mouth, you have to say it. You have to speak it. You have to believe it enough to put yourself on the line in front of everyone. That's why baptism is so important. You've got to do that. Why? Because it's a confession. It's a public profession of your faith. That word confession, that's what it means, to profess. It's to give testimony to. It's to admit. It's to say, yes, God's plan is right, and my plan was wrong. When you confess with your mouth, you have to speak it. You confess with your mouth, what? That Jesus is Lord. The word Lord means controller. It means ruler. It means someone in a high place, a high position. The word is Curios in the Greek. You have to confess that Jesus is Lord, Lord of everything, that he is the captain of your ship, that you are the clay and he is the potter, that he is the craftsman and you are the tools. You have to confess, Jesus, you are my Lord. You're the controller, ruler of my life. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Now think about this just for a moment, and let's really bring this down to home, because many people last election cycle, 2016, they were convinced that Trump was going to lose and Clinton was going to win. And let me say this, I'm not saying this to try to be political at all. I'm trying to make a point here. Why did Trump end up winning? How was it possible that he could win? Because all the polls said contrary. Same thing this year. He's behind in the polls. All the polls say there's no way. He's the latest poll, six points behind. No way Trump is going to win. How does he end up winning? Because you have a bunch of closet Trump supporters that won't confess him publicly, but when they go privately into the booth, they're confessing him. You cannot treat the Lord like you do Trump. You cannot be a closet Christian like you're a closet Trump supporter. It doesn't work. If you deny him in front of men, you're going to be denied before the Father in heaven. You have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. And then what does it say? The second thing, you have confession, then you have conviction. And believe it in your heart. Why does God's word say that you have to believe it in your heart? Because our minds are fickle. Because we can change our minds about a certain subject 20 times a day. How about lunch? Right now after church, you guys are going to go have lunch. You're going to have lunch at your home, whatever you're going to do. How many times have you changed your mind about what you want to have for lunch before you make? I mean, it happens all the time, right? Why? Because our minds are fickle. We change our minds with the wind. But when some truth, some love, some purpose gets rooted into your heart, that's not easily changed. You can't just understand in your head that Jesus is Lord. You have to believe that in your heart. Why? So that it doesn't change. Why? So that it's never taken. You have to believe in your heart, what? That Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, that he's been raised. It's not enough just to believe that Jesus came and lived and that Jesus came and died. You have to believe that Jesus lives today. Why is that important? Because if there is no resurrection, then we're all still dead in our sins. It's not enough to confess Jesus as Lord and to say, yes, I believe you lived. You have to believe that Jesus is alive, that he's moving and working in the midst of his church, in the midst of his people, in the midst of you. His spirit resides there. Do you believe that? Now, the scripture says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The word saved means delivered or rescued. 
The only way you can be delivered or rescued today, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching from, is if you confess Jesus and you believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. You have to confess. You have to believe. That is how you can be rescued. That is how his righteousness can be placed upon you, transferred to you. Now, look at what this says. It continues on, verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. I love this. There is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no distinction for the Lord. He's not a respecter of persons. And in the same sense that God condemned us all with one breath and said, there's no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter three. It's the same God who revealed to Peter in Acts chapter 10, that there is no distinction that the gospel, that Jesus is here for the Gentile and the Jew alike. There is no differentiating between people when it comes to the eyes of God, and I love this, especially in the midst of a culture that is struggling right now in the midst of racism, because God does not see color. And there's a, a beautiful saying, you know, people have always said, well, we all bleed the same, and this is true, but you know how perverted man is? Man can come to the point where we say, well, that's true, we all bleed the same, but we don't all have the same blood type. But you know what cannot be differentiated? We might have different blood types, we might have different skin colors, but there's only one way that any of us can be saved, and that is with one blood, the blood of Jesus Christ himself. There is no distinction. Everyone, anyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be rescued. Have you called out to the Lord yet? Have you asked for that rescue? And that word to call, it means to shout out in a court. It means to ask for pardon. It means to say, I am appealing. I know I've been found guilty, but please, I'm appealing for some sort of mercy. And in that moment, the book of 1 John chapter 2 says this, that if anyone sins, know this, that he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, that Jesus will come to you in that moment when you're in that courtroom and you're crying out for mercy and you're appealing to some sort of higher power saying, please, I know I've been guilty, but please have mercy. Jesus, your advocate, comes beside you, puts his arm around you and says, I got you. That's a beautiful truth. That's a beautiful fact. The simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of of our salvation. Now, understanding the worth of this salvation, we need to see and sense the urgency in sending. Look at this next text, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Think about this just for a second. Paul sees a progression here. People need to hear this news, but they're never going to understand. They can never call out for rescue if they haven't heard the gospel. They'll never hear the gospel unless someone goes and preaches to them. There's never someone that will preach unless someone is sent. Every single one of you this morning have been sent by God himself. Jesus himself gave a commission before he was taken into the presence of God. And he said this in Mark chapter 16, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature, everyone. Go proclaim that gospel. You have been sent. 
You can't wait for the person sitting next to you. You can't wait for your pastor or that preacher. You see, that word preach is caruso. It means to proclaim. It means to herald. It means to urge, to plead. That doesn't just happen from a pulpit or behind a table on a stage on a Sunday morning. That happens when God's people get a passion for the truth, for the gospel to see people saved, and they take the word to the streets. That's where the caruso takes place. That's where the preaching needs to be engaged. I cannot reach everyone that you know. I cannot have an intimate relationship with everyone that you do. But you have a relationship, and you have an influence, and you need to use that influence to preach the gospel. You have been sent. You do not need to wait to be sent. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977